For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. I mean, here's a guy that criticizes everybody, whoever they take. He's got the answers to uh, who you should take and who you shouldn't take. And all of a sudden, he's an expert. He's in our paper two days ago telling us who we have to take. Welcome back to the Believe in NFL Draft Prospects podcast. I'm Joe DeLeon, joined by Alex Gilstrap and Ryan Roberts. As always, we, as always, we are in for our first episode of in-season breakdowns and analysis of prospects. The way today's episode is going to go, we are going to discuss stock up, stock down for key prospects and guys that maybe needed a good start to this season that performed well or significantly underperformed. Before I get into that though, folks, I want to share with you a message from our sponsors, Bet Online. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. I know on Thursday I was excited and following that game. I even had a little money down on that game going on the under and I ended up getting it in that game. So you might as well take advantage of those picks that you think that you can hit on any game that's going on now with the NFL and college football. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all of the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag. Sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Guys, this first week of college football that was a significant amount of teams in full action. I guess you can call this week two right now, even though week one only had a handful of games going on. But the, the one thing just out of anything, forget about prospects for a second, the, the big thing that was so noticeable was that the Big 12 had a horrendous rough start. You have Kansas losing to Coastal Carolina. You have Kansas State losing to Arkansas State. And then you have Iowa State losing to Louisiana. So what were some of the things that stood out to you guys just from seeing bits and pieces from these games that they were struggling against some pretty tiny schools? Well, for me, I would say that, you know, we always joke about the Big 12 being bad defensive football, and we continue to see some bad defensive football. Iowa State, uh, you know, the running game that Louisiana, I don't know why that was hard to say, (laughs) Louisiana threw at with Trey Regis and Elijah Mitchell. They they wore down on their defensive front. Arkansas State had a a more of a passing game explosion on Kansas State. And then Kansas, I mean, I don't even want to get into Kansas. I will say shout out real quick, though, if I may. Coastal Carolina has a defensive tackle named C.J. Brewer. And on Coastal Carolina, there's a a defensive end that's named Teron Jackson who gets a lot of talk in NFL draft circles. This C.J. Brewer kid probably like a month or two ago inboxed me. And, you know, he wasn't looking for anything. All he said was, hey, I know you know about Teron Jackson. I'm next. Keep an eye out for me. And then he (laughs) – 
He had three tackles for loss and two sacks yesterday in their upset over Kansas. So shout out to C.J. Brewer, defensive tackle number 52. But I really think, Joe, you know, when you're looking at it, it, sloppy play continued, you know, first game for these teams. But also the defenses in Big 12 are bad. Like, it's it's just bad. And that was, I think that was really highlighted yesterday. And, uh, you know, good for the Sun Belt, getting their name out there a little bit. Yeah, and, and for me, you have Kansas. You have Kansas State, who no one thought was really going to compete. Uh, Iowa State, a little bit of a different story. We have higher hopes for for what they could do. But this just goes to show just the divide, the growing divide that the top of the Big 12 is just vastly different than the bottom. You have Texas, you have Oklahoma. Those are the competitors. I, I don't see anyone else in this conference really competing. And and I think every year we're seeing the difference in those programs grow more and more. And like Ryan alluded to, we expected, just like we talked about a little bit in last week's show, we expected some sloppy play uh, for these teams in their first games. So to see, you know, I know we're going to get into Iowa State a little bit more because we did have higher hopes uh, for some of their some of their big time guys uh, leading that charge. Um, but you know, we expect some sloppy play. I'm honestly surprised we saw some other uh, big time programs that played yesterday or this Saturday. Um, uh, play as clean as they did. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. So, uh, you know, the Big 12, bad defenses, um, the top programs, Oklahoma and Texas, they did play nobodies, but they took care of business, looked really clean in their victories. Uh, so I, I, those are really the only two, I think, that are that are going to compete this year. And that's what we came into the season thinking. A uh, little disappointed in the Big 12 to not hold up that standard of the Power 5 programs that take on these smaller schools. But like – like Ryan said, the Sun Belt, you know, kudos to them for coming out and uh, and and not not wavering against these these bigger programs. We saw some fun performances. Um, Ryan alluded to the running back, the running game uh, from Louisiana Lafayette or just Louisiana. I forgot it's not Lafayette anymore. I keep calling them Louisiana Lafayette. Uh, Trey Regis, uh, Elijah Mitchell, both had a key point in that victory. Levi Lewis, the quarterback, uh, had a couple nice throws. He had one deep bomb uh, right on the money, perfectly in stride. So they came out and they they, they played well, and that's how they, they took, them, took them down. And I think another thing that goes with these, with these games that happened, and Ryan brought this up about how terrible they were defensively and having a weird offseason – you should expect offensive miscues. So because their defense was already – these defenses for all three of these teams were already bad, them coming out slow on offense was enough to put them in a position where they couldn't really compete against the team that was coming out swinging, playing for everything to get this victory over a big conference team. So we've got four guys that are stock up. We also have another three that are stock down. The first one I'd like to get to is someone that we have already talked about that we know that Ryan is very high on. That is Andre Sisco, the safety from Syracuse. Three tackles in an interception. And Alex, before the show, you were telling me about how crazy of an interception return it was, how great of a play it was to see Andre Sisco make. What are some of the other things that you guys might have noticed from his performance? So for me, you know, it's uh, I did. I alluded to the athleticism that that was shown off in that interception. And let's start this episode off by giving a disclaimer that no, me and Ryan have not sat down and watched the All Twenty Two to be able to watch every play and really hone in on on some of these guys and every on a every down basis. So 
Uh, I can't really speak on the downfalls, but we see the highlight plays, and the highlight play for Andre Sisco was that interception, uh, playing in a deep zone coverage, uh, throw deep, and he came across the face of the wide receiver, and it was a it showed off good ball skills. I mean, it, he looked like a wide receiver, looked natural, high pointing the football. He went up with authority, and and he honestly caught the back half of the football. If it, it, it and it you know showed strong hands, and he came down with it and had a a nice return. I can't remember the exact yardage on the return but he you know he was good after the catch he's not one of these Homs and Nasir Dean type safeties that's going to lead the team in tackles uh unfortunately we didn't see Nasir Dean actually yes uh this Saturday but um Cisco's not going to be that guy so the three tackles that's that's probably what you're going to see but what he does so well and why he's my number two safety why he's Ryan's number one safety is the upside of what this guy can do as a ball hawk on the back end so to see an interception uh, against Sam Howell, who I know we're going to talk about a year from now as one of the top quarterbacks in the, the the next year's draft class. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. Uh, it, it was it was an exciting sight to see. And for me, I would say that, you know, it, this is relative to your opinion on Andre Sisco, whether it's stock up, stock down, stock down for me. Like this is on par with what I anticipated from him. You know, it's his 13th interception in 23 games. The interception was an amazing play, you know, coming from deep, deep zone coverage, being able to come over top on the vertical, make a great play. But it's stuff that we've seen from Andre Cisco. You know, he has that type of range. He has those ball skills. For me, it's just I feel like some things, you know, when we're talking about the summer evaluation period, I feel like some things were a little oversold on how much of a concern it was. You know, I, I feel like he's a lot more physical than people act like. But for me, you know, I, I'm, I'm more than happy to continue to talk about him each week because I think that the sky is absolutely the limit for a guy like Andre Cisco. So we'll put him in the stock up for now. For me, it's just, you know, another day at the office kind of thing. Because, again, 13 interceptions in 23 career games, like that speaks for itself. The guy has ball skills. The question is, how are you going to value him if the – the tackling, some tackling miscues and just physicality in the run game at times, how much that is going to turn you off. But for me, this guy is a high-impact defender in the pass game. You you pay those guys big money to create turnovers. Andre Sisco ta- creates turnovers. He ha- does that in spades. For me, he reminds me a ton of and it, a little bit of a different body type, but I think the impact that he has to a football game is similar to Eddie Jackson for the Chicago Bears with how he plays deep zones. He can come down. He's not never going to be a the greatest run defender of all time, but like no nobody for the, no Chicago Bear fan or any NFL fan cares that Eddie Jackson isn't the greatest run support player of all time because he forces turnovers. He takes the ball away, and then like Alex said on the return, you're flipping field position too. So. Uh, playmakers on the back ends. I, I feel like Andre Cisco eventually is going to get the credit that he deserves from a you know full scale draft community. But for now, you know, just another day in the office with this 13th interception in 23 games. Second player that we have going stock up is a little bit of a lesser known name, and he gets a lot of notoriety right now because of the stat line he put out in an upset victory. One of the games that we already alluded to, Arkansas State. Wide receiver Jonathan Adams Jr., Mr. John Adams, eight receptions, 98 yards, three touchdowns. Alex, is there anything that really stood out to you just from seeing some of the bits and pieces from his performance against Kansas State? I do not, I did not know Jonathan, who Jonathan Adam was going into Saturday, but I sure as heck know who he is now. I've watched three games of him now. 
uh, really? I want, yeah, I, he, he intrigued me so much. Um, obviously the stat line, eight receptions, 98 yards, three touchdowns against a power five conference team in Kansas state, who is typically known to have some of the better defense in the, in the conference. This guy can high point of football. Well, I think he's listed at six, three two twenty. I did a, I did some research on him because his play was fun and he, his best play didn't even count. It was a, it was a little fade in the end zone. Uh, went up with one hand. They called it incomplete. It probably was. There was a little bit of a jiggle, but dude, this guy is fun. He every single play, he's just boxing out the corner, using his length, great size, and he's just high pointing the football. He's catch. He's a hands catcher. He's not letting it come into his body. He's outreaching corners. This guy is gonna put up stats. Much like Omar Bayless has done the last couple years in that same program, but this guy, this guy's the higher upside guy. Uh, yeah, I've I watched a couple games from last year. I had to go back and watch. You know, I was like Omar Bayless on one end, Jonathan Adams on the other, and this guy is good. I, I like I said, didn't know his name going into the day, but he's on my radar now, and I'm excited to see what he can do the rest of the year. I I am expecting some ridiculous stat lines throughout this season for Jonathan Adams. And, and I, I personally struggled a little bit with Omar Bayless because he was kind of that big body pass catcher. And then he went into the combine, I think, and measured in. He was listed at like 6'3 and 6'3 plus, and he came in at like just 6'1. And then he ran like 4'6 something. You're like, all right, what exactly does this guy do? And then they had Kirk Merritt also, who was um, at Oregon, I believe, beforehand. He's a super explosive kid. And so this Adams kid was falling over, you know, um, falling under the radar a little bit this offseason. And, uh, you know, he is listed at 6'3", 220 pounds. And I will say, if he's not 6'3", he's pretty darn close. He's a big physical pass catcher. I feel like how he wins is more translatable than those guys. And I agree with Alex. that I think the upside is higher just because I think that the trans- translation to how he's going to win at the next level is is much more, you know, acceptable and understandable. I, I think that, that that frame, that size, and then those hands, he has some incredible hands and can test the catch situations. We saw it three times yesterday, four, if you count the one that didn't didn't count. So right. uh, very, very physical wide receiver. He was big boying Big 12 defensive backs yesterday. And while Kansas State might not have a corner that is like super on the radar, he's still playing above, quote unquote, above his level of competition. And he showed out yesterday. Eight catches, 98 yards, three touchdowns, one that didn't count. I mean, incredible performance in the upset victory, and he is firmly on the radar moving forward now. Now, I'll, I'll say, you know, uh, it seemed like he ran straight vertical routes. Every every single play that he made was was pushing pushing the field vertically. I, I see a lot of resemblance. I think he's a longer Kelvin Harmon from the three games I've watched now. Hmm. Uh, I think he's a a longer Kelvin Harmon as far as play style. I don't think he's ever going to be someone that's super fast, super you know route runner, and that's why Kelvin Harmon fell so low in the draft when a lot of draft Twitter, especially, was really really high on the prospect out of NC State. Uh, now with Washington, and um, but yeah, so this I think he's just he's got more link to him I think than what Kelvin Harmon did. But I love the p- play. It, pushing the sideline, you know, in the, in the red zone. I think it's very, very similar. Uh, but like I said, I do think he has more length and I, I think he's just a, a little bit more juicier of an athlete. I think this guy might rise uh, throughout the year, because like I said, I think this is going to be something we're seeing throughout the season. We're going to see hundred yards, multi, multi touchdown games through the season. I think with the competition that 
Arkansas State's going to play, especially uh, playing in that Big 12 as well, playing those defenses. I think this guy's going to fly up radars. All right, our third guy now, who I think I believe at one point was trending on Twitter because of his performance last night, Asante Samuel Jr., the defensive back for Florida State. He finished with four tackles and a pretty interesting stat line here, two interceptions in that game. Now, he's someone that we have already talked about and discussed as being on the radar for being a really top-quality defensive back prospect this year. Ryan, let's go to you first this time. What did you see from Asante Samuel Jr. that makes you say that he he helped his stock this past game? Well, I think for him going into the season, I when we did our cornerback show, when we talked about it, I'm pretty sure that I, I kind of put this out there, that he is the complete opposite of what his father was, Asante Samuel, uh, I guess, senior at the, right now, um, with Jr. In the, in the limelight. So Asante Samuel was... Great ball skills, really gifted athlete, not a physical tackler in any way. And Asante Samuel Jr., I think, is a good athlete, but he came into the year only with one interception last year. The ball skills have been kind of put into question, and he is a super physical run defender. He will he will throw his, his body around a little bit. So the big question was, can he create turnovers? Does he have ball skills? So two interceptions in a ball game. That is notable, you know, for a guy that needs to prove that he can create turnovers. That is very notable. I will say you have to do have to look at the the context of the interceptions, right? Like the first one, he was playing cover three. He was in deep zone, and it was just a terrible decision by the quarterback thrown over top, easy interception. The second one was a little better. He was backside on in zone, and then he he um, went underneath of the uh, of the mesh concept and had an interception. So I liked that one a ton more. But for me, it was just show that you can create turnovers, however it comes to you. So that's why his stock is up. I will say that you know I have been vocal about. It. I think he's going to play inside on the next level, just because I I think that he's going to measure in right around five nine and a half, five nine and three quarters. I don't think he has the length to last on the outside. So for me, with the ability I've already seen with him to play man-to-man, right? Like he is super quick in, in short, tight spaces. With what we saw this past weekend um, or yesterday with the ability to p- make plays in zones, I feel like that's going to help his evaluation even more. You have to show that you can play both in the slot a little bit. I think he has pretty good instincts to him. And again, you know, lack of ball skills was the question mark. Two interceptions to start the year out is a pretty damn good start for Asante Samuel Jr., yeah, I I love I love that you brought up the context of the interceptions because that's a lot, you know, these box score fiends that the reason he's trending on Twitter, you know, the two interceptions, but there is context behind it. The first one was really right place, right time, bad decision by the quarterback and hey, look, here's the ball. Uh second one like you said was a little bit more impressive. You saw a little bit more anticipation, jumping route uh there on the mesh concept like you alluded to. But you you mentioned the the ball production that you know the lack thereof. But I think we I think I talked about this during the cornerback preview. Is this man gets his hands on the football? He just wasn't pulling down the turnovers, and that was a big talking point. I was like, I think they're going to come. You know, fourteen pass deflections in twenty nineteen. I think he was top five in the nation as far as getting his hands on the football and disrupting the pass. Uh, so I knew that you know I was I was I was hoping and I was. I was sure that the the interceptions would come this year if we had the season. Um, I didn't think that they would come so early and in such an abundance. But two interceptions week one, 
I think this is more of what you're going to see. And I, and I like that you, you talked about him playing inside. Cause that's where he's going to play at the next level, the way he plays uh, physically. I think he, he's more of a short space kind of mover. I think he's quicker than fast. And I think that's, that's better suited on the inside at his height, his length. Um, but yeah, this guy gets his hands on the football. He's done it. His, you know, his whole career, he had nine pass deflections, I think the year before, if, if memory serves. So, you know, this guy gets his hands on the football. It was just a matter of time before those those pass deflections turned into interceptions, and, and we we saw that this Saturday. I just feel like those that context of like what how he's intercepting the pass is so important because I, I I thought back to like so Twitter is always overreaction every time anything happens, right? So like I was watching the Clemson game yesterday against Wake Forest, and. Boogie Basham, Carlos Basham, which I know you're a fan of Alex. I like him yeah. too. He's in the top both top five edges for us um, overall. The first play of the game, or maybe it was the second play. I forget. The first drive, though, uh, Trevor Lawrence is is surveying the fields. Nothing's happening. He tries to roll out. Basham gets a sack, and Twitter erupted. Boogie, Boogie. Oh, Boogie's better than than um, <laughs> than than uh, Gregory Rousseau. I don't know if you want to hear that or you know what are hot takes like all this i'm like dude like he got a sack but it wasn't a good sack it was a coverage sack like it was a four plus second sack where he had done nothing there was no movement created and then trevor lawrence rolls out and then boogie is able to detach from the offensive tackle because the offensive tackle doesn't know that trevor lawrence broke the pocket that sack is not translatable to winning a ton at the next level it's a coverage sack they're gonna happen but you, from a one-on-one standpoint and from a scouting perspective, you did not win that rep, in my opinion. That is not a highly projectable play. So again, context to scouting. Do not look at that scout uh, that box score. Do not overreact when you see a corner get an interception where it was just a terrible throw, or you get a, a see a defensive end get a sack after five plus seconds. Those things aren't translatable to the next level. Let's scout the correct way. Defensive ends. They need to win within like 2.5 to 3 seconds. They need to be able to win and transition to being an effective pass rush player. The first interception for Sante Samuel Jr. yesterday, that didn't impress me. It, it was a bad throw. The second one, it did. And again, he, he's able to create turnovers. So at the end of the day, that is a great step for him. But I just love the way you put that, Alex. There has to be context to what you're seeing on film. It has to be considered at all times. Right, and I think the the other thing too that goes under that umbrella is the Paris Ford interception that he had. You sent it in our group chat. It seems like there were not as many people, but a few people saying like, "Oh, he's making plays. He's he's having a good game." But if you go look at the context of that, it's against Austin P. And the ball was thrown literally right to him. There was nothing that he had to do to redirect or read to make a play on that ball. It was a terrible, terrible throw by an FCS quarterback just trying to get rid of the football. It was practically a completion to a receiver, except it just happened to be Paris Ford on the other team being the guy making the catch. Guys, yeah. let's get to this, this stock down now, talking about three players. And the first one, everybody was down on him, it seems like. Brock Purdy, after the loss with Iowa State, facing off against Louisiana, he did not have a very good day. And one of the things that we've already discussed when we were doing our pre-show notes that he was getting hung out to dry a bit from a lack of ability to get the ball to playmakers in his offense. He still finished 16 for 35 and one pick, 
no touchdowns. Pretty horrendous day against a team that is in the Sun Belt. Yeah, if so, this is another situation like Ryan was just talking about, and that that is an emphasis on the show is the context of the situation. Um, he had a less than fifty percent completion percentage against Louisiana. That's in a vacuum that just sounds terrible, but when you put into account the drops, if there was an adjusted completion percentage, I'd like to see it. I haven't seen it on Twitter yet. I'm sure PFF will figure out how to tweet it out because if you take an adjusted completion percentage there, you would realize it's not, he didn't have quite as bad of a day as just the team did as a whole. He His receivers were dropping the ball constantly. Um, I, did, I didn't I did love his ball placement at times outside of one throw. Hold on. One throw, I think it was a third quarter. I, I hope you know what I'm talking about, Ryan, where he – he dropped it in there about 20 yards out um, in between like three or four defenders. It was perfectly placed. Good, good catch by the receiver too. I think it was number eight who dropped a couple passes. So, uh, but anyways, Brock Purdy, you know, his stat line looks worse than the play was. He is considered this gamer, right? That's what we, that's what everyone's called him throughout this summer. You know, scouting him is he's, he doesn't have the tools, but he's a gamer. Um, and, and I saw that a, a good bit in this game. Um, he, he didn't play his best ball game and that's, that's just, that just is what it is that it is still a stock down for me, but the context of what exactly happened, um, on a play by play basis, the drops that were ensued, the offensive line play, he was facing pressure quite a bit against the team like Louisiana is, a, is pretty bad, uh, for Iowa state in that offensive line. Um, I, I didn't like how he handled that pressure. I think he was a little skittish in the pocket when he was facing that pressure. And then ball placement overall, I thought I thought his uh, he wasn't putting things exactly where you want to see him, especially in the short to intermediate areas of the field. So it was, it was a down game for Purdy. Um, but just like we were talking about with the other guys, there is a little bit of context that makes this not quite as bad as it seems on the surface. Yeah, and that's all I was looking for when I was, you know, just on Twitter a little bored during the game because, like, it was a pretty ugly football game, was the fact of, like, yes, the final stats are bad. It Brock Purdy did not have a good football game. Like, it's just straight up, he had a bad football game. Let's call it what it is. But the 16 out of 35 that everybody wants to point to, I think the official number was, and I might be wrong about this, was seven drops from Iowa State, including, and I don't know if you saw this one, Alex, where the interception that he had yes. hit the wide receiver right in the chest and popped up. Like, it was not a bad throw in any barometer, right? So, like, even when we're just talking about the Ross box score, like, if those just those seven completions happen, that interception doesn't happen, we're talking 23 of 35. And while that's still, I mean, like, it's not bad. Like, 23 out of 35 is not bad, but, like, that's the subtle difference between thinking Brock Purdy had the worst game you've ever seen and just having a bad game, right? Like, there's just some context lost there. For me, when I was watching Purdy, like, he started out, for me, I felt like he was composed. He was staying on his on his back foot, coming forward. Like, there was no fading off that back foot. He was had a good platform. And then once things started going awry and there were so many incompletions, he was holding the ball a little too long because I think he was just trying to do too much. He was trying to press a little bit, and then he was fading off that back foot, and he was doing some you know, bad ball placement because his, his platform wasn't underneath of him. So, yes, Brock Purdy had a bad game. This is definitely a stock-down situation. I would just like people to 
consider the context again. You know, seven drops. The interception was a perfectly thrown ball that hit a guy in the chest that popped up in the air for an interception. Is that on Purdy? No, absolutely not. So did he have a good performance? No, he did not. But it was not nearly as bad as some people want to act, and it's not nearly as bad as the box score would indicate. That's all I'm asking, man, is just context with this stuff. That's a badly graded game relative right to to the expectations of Brock Purdy being that late first, early second round pick potentially. But it wasn't the worst quarterback game of all time like everybody tried to act it like it was. So our second guy had a slightly better stat line, not in the same pregame draft stock situation as Purdy was, but still needed to show some serious improvements when it came to physical traits. That being Notre Dame quarterback Ian Book, he only threw for 263 yards, one touchdown, and one pick in this game. But that stat line is not really an indication of his performance. From watching this game, and I watched the entirety of this game, and and Ryan, I know that you watched the entirety of this game too because you're also a Notre Dame fan. Uh, The one thing I just kept seeing myself is that Book continued to struggle to move the ball in important situations. Third and medium, third and long, he is extremely unreliable, and I think it's pretty safe to say it's too early for this, but it's pretty safe to say that Ian Book is probably not a draftable quarterback. I mean, I, I would agree 100%. It's, it's, it's rough right now, man, watching Notre Dame football sometimes just because people around the, the program, people around the country – Go to bat for Ian Book for whatever reason. I get it. You know, he's like an undersized, scrappy quarterback, quote-unquote. Like, I get it. I understand it. Everyone likes to root for that guy because he's a perceived underdog. You know, again, I I completely understand why he's a guy that people go to bat for. For me, like, he's just not good. I mean, And it's it's not anything that you have to go super in-depth about. He's short. He does not have a very good arm. He's billed as this athlete. I guarantee he runs in the four eights. I don't think he's a good athlete at all. I think he's a, a tough athlete. I think that he's a, a sound enough athlete to move the ball a little bit. But you saw, like, we talk about Purdy throwing off his back foot. Everything Ian Book does is throwing off his back foot. He has no timing to his game. Everything's late. He's only a thrower when something is wide open, always. Okay, He has no pocket presence. He breaks the pocket when he doesn't need to. There's just like, what are we hanging our hat on? There was a couple of deep shots even yesterday where he had a shot and he just sails the football over their head because I just think he doesn't keep that platform. Like I talked about with Purdy a little bit, right? Like the ball just rises on him. It it doesn't, it sails. So I don't think he's an NFL quarterback. I I think that, you know, we we saw the the kid from James Madison get drafted late this year. I, I don't even remember his name, but like Ben DiNucci. Ben DiNucci got drafted late. So like, is Ian Book not going to be drafted like I wouldn't but I guess you never know is kind of like the point with that My, but I don't think that he's going to last long in the NFL I, I think truly and this is not a, a I don't think this is like an insult to him in any way I think Ian Book can make a nice living in, as a professional quarterback in the CFL or the XFL potentially I think that he has that upside because again he, there's a toughness to him he's played at a big program he knows how to you know respond to, to negativity and do all those types of things he knows how to be a professional so I think that he could be a professional quarterback. I just don't think he's an NFL guy. And I think the worst parts of what Ian Book is were highlighted so much against Duke, who actually has a couple defenders that are worth talking about, right? Chris Rumpf, the other defensive end. I don't even know how to say his last name. Victor and Marquise Waters at safety. There's a couple guys that are worth mentioning. Mark Gilbert at cornerback. 
there's some guys. And I think that those guys highlighted the absolute worst of Ian Book uh, during this game. You know, the only thing I'll add to that, you know, and I think you laid it out perfectly about Ian Book. He's just not an NFL guy. You know what this was reminiscent of? This was reminiscent of those Jacksonville days with Blake Bortles. The whole team around the quarterback position was primed to make a run at the championship, right? The Super Bowl for Jacksonville. And I think that's very true with Notre Dame uh, in college football. I think that that roster right now, how it is, is poised for a championship. But the quarterbacks just at the end of the day going to hold them back and I don't think they're gonna they're gonna make it just because of the quarterback position. That's just how important the quarterback position is, and that's why it's valued so highly in the draft and and in free agency and making sure we pay these guys in the NFL is because the quarterback can be the difference. You can have everything perfect. That Jacksonville team in 2017, that defense, there's not really anything you changed to it. You had a good run game, you had enough of a of, of pass catching weapons, but the quarterback just didn't get it done. And that's exactly how I feel about this Notre Dame team. I, I was introduced to this running back that, oh my goodness, he looks very, good very player. good for Notre Dame. Yeah, good player. Tight end. He, we might have a future tight end one. Michael Mayer. Few, Michael Mayer. You know, he needs a little shout out. They have playmakers all over the defense. I was impressed with Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. Uh, you know, he had a nice pass deflection where I think it was ruled a fumble live and then they went back and made it a pass you know so they have playmakers all over the field and I think that this team could make a run at Clemson in this you know weird year with them being in the ACC but it's just the quarterback holding them back at the end of the day like like you said Ian Book's just not an NFL guy he could make a good XFL CFL guy um, but this is just confirmation that he's just not built for the next level and we don't need to think of him as that I think it's a, such a great point because if you go back and watch the Georgia game last year, you look at Clemson the year before in the, in the playoffs, it's always the quarterback position that seems to not come come up, come up to life a little bit. You mentioned some of the guys. We talked about Michael Mayer joking around, but, like, that dude's talented. The running back, Kyron Williams, that dude's talented. They have another running back named Chris Tyree who's a freshman that is blazing fast. They have some dudes. Chase Claypool last year, Cole Komet, they always have guys. They always have offensive linemen. Defensively, Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, Kyle Hamilton, who's probably going to be a top 20 pick next year. There are dudes all over the place for Notre Dame. What is so what is the one, what is the the spots that we're lacking? Ian Book and and the coaching. I mean, I think the offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator are pretty solid, but like Brian Kelly has not, in my opinion, done an incredible job in Notre Dame. He's gotten some guys on the roster. Don't think he's a great coach. And usually that's how it works out. You know, when, when you look at teams being successful or have their shortcoming is usually coach quarterback, coach quarterback. Those are the guys that usually kind of end out on being the guys for the reasoning. So I just think that we, we see the shortcomings too much with them. There's talent all over that Notre Dame roster. Some guys that we're going to be talking about pretty highly this year in general as well. So uh, just a shame right now, man, as a Notre Dame fan, I think Joe can reiterate it too. It's it's not fun to watch Ian Book play quarterback. I want to see somebody new. They have a kid coming in next year. Hopefully he's able to turn the turn the uh, tide around here. So uh, hopefully. The, the one thought I had yesterday is, and I almost tweeted it, but the one thought that I had was how long has it been since, and maybe you could kind of count to Sean Kaiser in this, how long has it been that, that Notre Dame has had a actual NFL talented quarterback that is not an undersized spread quarterback. It feels like it has been so long that they've been able to produce someone who is 
actually has the arm talent and able to take over a game and make all the throws that they need to make. Instead, it's a lot of guys that really get a, get away with having all the talent around them. And Ian Book fits that bill of all of those guys over the past decade or so, maybe minus Deshaun Kaiser. Forget all the hype that people, for some reason, I, there's the crazy people that think that Ian Book might be the next Joe Montana just because of like a very general comparison to being at Notre Dame. I, I don't see it, and you guys clearly don't see it as well. I don't think anybody should be seeing that, and it's frankly a very lazy comp to pick just because he's at Notre Dame. The last player that was in this game that we want to discuss right now is Chris Rumpf. He ended up leaving for part of the game because of an injury, and the one thing that you guys really pointed out to me is that he looks really undersized. He's supposed to be at 235, and that's still way too light for being a pass rusher. That's got to hurt when you're being talked about as an early day two guy and you need to pack on some weight, and he didn't seem to do that this offseason. Yeah, it, it, I said this in our ed when we're talking about the edge class. I'm going to be out on Chris Rumpf until he gains weight, and I just because I don't know where to put him at the next level. He doesn't have a frame uh, that that translates to put his hand in the dirt at the next level. He's he looks skinnier than me out here, and I'm I'm not a big guy. I, I <laughs> he just he's undersized. You know he he couldn't get anything going with that. You know a plus offensive line in Notre Dame. I. You see the traits. You see the the pass rush plan. He has. He can slap together some moves and get in the backfield. We've seen that in his tape. But at two hundred and twenty five pounds, I don't. I don't know what to do with you. You know, we we've talked about. You know, he's gonna play off ball. That's where he's got to be. Something like Zach Bond. Uh, you know, we talked about Zach Bond as a kind of a comp as far as you know, played a lot off the edge in college, but is gonna have to make that transition off ball at the next level. But quite frankly, he's too small for that. Like he's not even, he doesn't even meet the threshold for a, a will linebacker at the next level. Like he's small, like he's, he's a safety size right now, as far as, you know, weight goes. And I just don't, I don't know what to do with him. He is going to be one of those players that I am out on until I see him gain 20 plus pounds. And, you know, I joked earlier with y'all before the show that, this guy needs to add 40 pounds, but he almost does. He like it's it sounds astronomical, but 40 pounds would we'd be in a lot better situation. Uh, you know, if he if he added that weight, I just I I'm gonna be like I said, I'm just gonna be out on him until I can see some weight added. And I thought we would see that. That's that's the biggest thing. That's why it's stocked down for us. It's not because he he lost weight or anything. This is what he played at last year. But with the anticipation that he would, you know, he would not know that he needs to put on some weight, and it just doesn't seem like he did during this downtime, and that's that's why it's stocked down for me personally. I'm just going to be out on him for the time being. I I think that the real troubling part of Chris Rumpf, you know, besides for only being, you know, right around six three, two hundred thirty five, two hundred thirty six pounds, whatever he's listed at right now. The biggest negative that I have on him, and he's going to get comped to guys like you said, like Zach Bond, Kyle Van Noy coming out of BYU. Like Those are the kind of guys that he's going to get compared to. The biggest negative, though, for Chris Rump that he has going for him right now is those guys 
played in odd man fronts as outside linebackers at Cal in college. Wisconsin plays a 3-4. BYU played a 3-4 back then. I think they still do now, if I remember correctly, watching their game this past week. So you saw those guys have to play in space a little bit, have to drop into coverage. Chris Rumpf plays defensive end in a four-man front. He is always going after the quarterback. Um, they move him inside sometimes. They play him off ball, but just as a rusher. So, like, you don't see him in pass coverage at all. You don't see him navigate space a ton. And honestly, like, you saw it in this game when he had to go against guys like Liam Eichenberg and even Robert Hainsey, even though I don't think Hainsey is nearly the player that Eichenberg is at right tackle. He's still an NFL caliber offensive lineman, you know, in a reserve role potentially. So he saw two guys that are going to play on Sundays and he wasn't able to create much pass rush. I think he had, I think it may be the first drive he had a hurry um, or at least got a hit on late into the rep, but you just didn't see those flash plays against these NFL caliber offensive linemen like this, you know, the ACC, you're, you're not playing against guys like Florida state's dudes every week, right. In the NFL, like their offensive lines are bad. Notre Dame has a couple guys that are NFL caliber. Chris Rump wasn't able to create that pressure. And again, you you haven't seen him navigate space. Like, when are we going to see him have to play off ball in some type of role, whether that's as a Sam or a Will? Like, I need to see what he looks like having the cover. I need to see what he what he's going to do setting an edge, you know, from an off ball position, like flowing over top. I need to see it until I don't. He's a weird, a weird um, tran- uh, translatable player for me. I don't know what exactly what he is. I, maybe he's just a, a you know, relegated situational pass rusher until he kind of fills out and figures it out. But for me, I'm not drafting that guy the first couple rounds like everybody's talking about. Some guys have him as their edge one right now. Like some people have that. I've seen great. I've seen Chris Rumpf over Greg Russo. Another hot take, right? Like it's it's insanity. I don't know what to do with Chris Rumpf either right now. I, I still like him. I still like the traits, but like until I see some translatable things to playing off ball, I'm going to be relatively low to some other people on him. Guys, that's going to be it for today's discussion. As you can hear, we have a, a bunch of guys that really helped their case and three that did not do so with pretty weak performances. Thank you for tuning in. As always, folks, be sure to follow all of us on social media. You can follow me at Joe DeLeone. At Alex at Alex Gilstrap and Ryan at Rise and Draft. Also follow the show's Twitter at NFL Prospects Pod. Additionally, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Also, drop us a review on what you think of the show. Thanks for tuning in, folks. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.